0: some people see segregated conferences or or the conferences uh separated by by a color line they see that in itself as the problem and that's not the problem the segregated conferences came about because of a different issue which is racism right and so dissolving uh or, or merging the conferences back into one, you know, clear and and simple, elegant, administrative hierarchy, uh, sure, that's fine, I guess, but at the end of the day, that doesn't actually solve the root problem, which was racism.
1: Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, we are looking into a little bit of history within our church regarding segregation and the structural divisions that took place within the church because of racism. We also explore the contemporary conversations surrounding what it would look like to unify conferences whose initial schisms took place as a result of racism. Would this indeed be beneficial, or would it endanger the progress of Black communities in exchange for an idealistic utopia that may not exist this side of Eden? We also discuss the idea of corporate repentance and what that would entail. This week, my guest is Ingram London, a PhD student at Andrews University, studying the sanctuary and Black theology. We will have some book recommendations available for you at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at AdventNext. I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is AdventNext.
0: Uh, So, uh, my name's Ingram London. I am a PhD student at the um, seminary at uh, Andrews University in Berrien Springs. I have a wife, just a a new dad. Uh, My little girl is three months and uh, enjoying life. Uh, In terms of the conference that you're referring to, I'm also the content developer for uh, an online magazine called The Compass Magazine. So uh, back in 2016, uh, our organization, we decided to hold a, a conference on race relations, and it was entitled Repairing the Breach. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what we we did in 2016, in the fall of 2016, and it was located at uh, Andrews University. Uh, most of the sessions were held at the uh, Pioneer Memorial uh, Church there on, on campus at Andrews University. Um, the way that we... Uh, basically got to that point was that uh, before then, uh, Compass had decided to go into the area of race relations and to kind of look into, is there a path forward uh, for the Church in terms of race relations? Um, Maybe some people don't know, but in the North American division, Uh, We actually have, some people would call it racially segregated conferences. We have regional conferences and state conferences. Um, And I can go into a little bit more about that uh, later in regards to how how that actually happened. But um, basically, uh, what Compass was trying to do was to highlight uh, areas uh, in terms of churches and and schools that were working together across conference lines. So Mm -hmm. uh, state conferences, which may be predominantly white, and regional conferences, which are predominantly black, uh, both having their own schools, their own churches, their own uh, different uh, facilities. And so Compass was highlighting uh examples of where people were actually collaborating together, and even in some cases, conferences uh combining their resources in order to either build a school that would serve both um, a, a white and black. Uh, students and, and that type of thing. So once we did that, the idea came up that, hey, maybe we should do a conference. Maybe we could get a, a movement going in terms of more collaboration and, and, and bringing unity between uh, the, the regional conferences and state conferences. And so that's what we did. We put on this conference. We had uh, several speakers. Uh, we have had uh, Professor uh, Jerome uh Skinner he was not a professor at the time i think he was still finishing his doctorate in uh old testament exegesis but we had jerome Skinner, we had uh claren Hollinsid, uh we had um uh david dr david penno who's in the uh church ministry department at the seminary hmm. uh and a few other uh individuals uh when we had our uh panel q and a uh we also had uh, uh pastor dwight nelson and a few other uh people as right. well that are well-known within Adventism.
1: What's interesting is that like you kind of went into this with kind of idealism. And I think if you can explain some of the I- idealisms that you had going into this conference and kind of where you're at now, maybe in just kind of a kind of a brief uh, overview, because we're going to get into some of the in-depth parts of that. But I thought that that's what's so fascinating because the way that you described yourself uh, walking into this, it, mm-hmm. it feels like... Very much what people are feeling at this moment.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> I, you could definitely describe me as an idealist at, at that point. I um, I had some reservations about uh, going down that path of, of uh, attempting to, um, for all intents and purposes, uh, uh, promoting the idea that regional conferences should be dissolved and, and uh, um, uh, taken back up into the state conferences And kind of moving forward in a a, a racial harmony utopia within within the church. That was definitely uh, I was on that train. Um, But I guess uh, there was a at a a certain point after the conference, I started to do a little bit more homework into this idea of uh, what what it would take in order to have real unity between the conferences and. What I've found, at least at least from my own perspective and my own studies, is that in reality we we need the regional conferences, and we we definitely need them <laughs> more than than ever, actually today, uh, given the um, the racial uh, strife and and um, and problems that we're seeing in our in our country right now. Um, and these problems are not just outside the church, but also inside the church. Uh, the way that that happened is that is really through a series of, of conversations with some of, of my, my white Adventist brothers and sisters. Um, some of them very dear friends, they're still very dear friends. But when I probed their understanding of why they wanted a, <clears throat> excuse me, a reunification between the regional conferences and the state conferences, Um, Their reasoning and their rationale, some of it just, to be quite frank, struck me as racist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then (laughs) there were others who I would say they had more benign uh, motives, but at the same time, I don't think it, it... their motivation was something that that reunification should be based on. Um, Mm. So to be more specific, I I think you can classify some individuals who are attempting to try and bring a reunification between the state and the regional conferences um, in, in these particular ways. So one would be people who are motivated more by embarrassment uh, in regards to uh, the structure of our church. So right now, the political climate, or you could say the political politically correct thing to do is to have everyone uh, un- united and having uh, very diverse worship services with individuals from every single background uh, within a church service just worshiping together in, in harmony, and that seems to be where uh, society is going. But that is not what's reflected in the church. And so some people are embarrassed by that, that we do have, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, racially segregated conferences. And so they're embarrassed by that. And they want to get rid of regional conferences so that we don't have that uh, that stain or, or shame of embarrassment of having that that segregation there. And so right. that's one group uh, of individuals. And I would classify those individuals as kind of like benign, uh, reunification is. So they they're, they don't have any ill will, I think, towards African Americans or or anything like that. It's just that they have this embarrassment about uh, mm-hmm. the church's uh, structure right now. And some, some of them right. don't even know the history as to why we have uh, separate uh, conferences. Right. But then you have this other group of individuals. And again, some of these people are my dear friends. They're still my friends today but their motivations behind reunifying the conferences, to me, it it really smacks of of racism in and of itself. Uh, Mm. And so some of those conversations, in some of those conversations, I learned that uh, among some of my white Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters, that they view uh, the regional work, uh, the Black work, the Black Adventism, as being too political Mm. Uh, and two, involved in uh, social justice movements or Black mm. Lives Matter and these types of initiatives. Mm. And they see that, one, as uh, a, theolog- a theological problem uh, for on one hand, but then on the other hand, they also see it as a problem evangelistically for themselves. And I'll elaborate a little bit more on, on what I mean by that. Um, so what they see is that Or at least in their perspective, Adventism cannot flourish, at least white Adventism cannot flourish in this country unless it is attractive to uh, rural. Uh, white Americans that lean more politically to the right, um, and and if if they the way they see it is that if Black adventism is too outspoken and is too uh, progressive or is seen or perceived as being too far to the left in in, in terms of politics in this country, that it will be putting to to white uh, Americans in, in rural areas and uh, middle class Amer- uh, white Americans, and so. In reality, their desire to reunify the conferences is more so of a strategy to, to bring black Adventism, so to speak, back into line mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> with, with yeah. some, some uh, uh, ulterior motive that they have, which is to be passively uh, more attractive to, to rural white Americans and, and make Adventism attractive to, the, to that demographic.
1: Wow. I really appreciate you giving like looking at breaking down some of the motivations for why people are looking for this unification. And I think you nailed it. So what are some of those points? If you can elaborate a little bit, because you were talking about it needs to really appeal to like the rural middle class conservatism. Did you talk about how, you know, it needs to be like pro-life, anti-reparations? Those are some of the points that you'd made before.
0: Right. Absolutely. So uh, one of the the sticking points that, um, that uh, many of uh, those in, in Adventism that want to reunify the conferences is that, again, they see Black Adventism as leaning f- too far to the left. And mm-hmm. so they want to make sure that a the picture of Adventism that is out there and that is available to uh, rural white America is that Seventh Day Adventist Church is absolutely pro-life, uh, and in some cases anti-reparations. Uh, is is not concerned with with race issues, and in, and in fact embraces a colorblind uh, approach to to race issues. So mm. that's that's kind of where that that group is 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 trying to lead Adventism away from what they see as being too politically involved on the left. And, and steer Adventism more towards what they would see as politically more aligned with the right and what they would also deem as more biblical.
1: Gotcha. And so this was some of the views that you encountered while you were like, you know, having this idealism of, you know, let's see what we can do about creating this unified utopia and realize people coming into it, one, were either coming with a lack of education or a sense of embarrassment that there are these two conferences and embarrassed about of their history and and their participation in, or, you know, maybe ancestral participation in that history. Um, And then there are those who are looking to basically kind of muzzle the black voice by assimilating regional conferences into state conferences so that it doesn't appear too progressive uh, to people that they're potentially wanting to evangelize pretty much.
0: Exactly. And so what's happening is that you're, you're seeing a repeat of what happened during the civil rights movement um, so I should probably mention that after I did this this conference. Uh, with the Compass Magazine, I, I went back and I—I I should uh, quote scripture that, that a prophet has no honor in their own home. Mm. Uh, so I, I went back and and remembered that my brother had actually written a, an entire book on the, the the Seventh Day Adventist involvement in the Civil Rights Movement. Mm. And so I went back and and read that book, and I, it was kind of like a, a second like self-discovery. Oh, maybe we should keep regional conferences. Around and the reason for that is is that even during the civil rights movement, there was uh, a a particular approach, at least in in the in white Adventist circles, to try and silence black uh, ministers who wanted to get involved in the civil rights movement. And so, even though Adventists were involved in the civil rights movement, it is. Uh, by far mostly african american voices african american ministers that you see involved in the civil rights movement and those individuals were threatened uh with their with their um, employment and different things of that nature and and told uh, in in no uncertain terms by some of uh, the caucasian brethren in the church that they should not be involved in the civil rights movement that that's not our work as Seventh-day mm. Adventists and that it's too political. So mm. that, that was the situation, and I think what we're seeing now is a, is a repeat of that, but people realize that actually they have no agency to enforce that type of, <laughs> uh, of, of thinking on Black Adventism because Black Adventism is, is, uh, is uh, fairly independent uh, mm. from, from, the, uh, from the main body of the Church. Uh, by having regional conferences they're insulated from some of that that criticism that comes from the rest of the church and so some people are trying to reassert control over black Adventism and make sure that black Adventism uh, toes the line in, in regards to to politics and staying politically neutral or at least being perceived that way uh, as being politically neutral
1: this is really good because you know I think, there might be people out there who, that don't even know what a regional conference is and sure. where they exist within the hierarchy of adventism and like how do how do they interact with state conferences you can break that down a little bit for people who may not be familiar with the the structural Sure.
0: So, yeah, let me let me talk about the structure of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Uh, just so people are clear on that, and also like where the regional conferences came from. So, yeah. basically, uh, the the church, uh, in in terms of conferences, there are three layers uh, to the to the church. It's a hierarchical structure. So you have the General Conference, uh, which is the the highest uh, um, uh, office in in the church. So you have the General Conference at the top, which is uh, which is in uh, Washington, D.C. And then underneath that, you have uh, division conferences or, or, um, or uh, 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 general conference divisions, and those are branch offices of the general conference. So uh, divisions do not have their own constituency. They are just branch offices of the general conference. But underneath the, the general conference and the divisions, you have union conferences, and union conferences cover a, a wide uh, geographical area, Uh, In the United States, they cover multiple states, Uh, and then underneath that you have state conferences, and uh, at the state conferences, of course, are composed of multiple churches within that state. So where do regional conferences uh, fit into that structure? So a regional conference, and this could be a little bit confusing, a regional conference is the size of a union in terms of its geography but in terms of its power institutionally, it is treated as a state conference. So, when you have, for example, you have the Lake Union uh, Conference, which covers, I believe, Michigan, uh, Indiana, Minnesota, Illinois, and there may be a, a couple of other states in, in, in the Lake Union Conference. Mm. But within the Lake Union, there are multiple states and each of those states has their own conference. But also within that that territory, there is the Lake Region Conference. And that Lake Region Conference covers the entire Lake Union uh, in terms of its geography, but it is treated as a state conference. And the reason for that that, uh, difference is that you don't have enough african-american constituency for each uh state to have its own regional state conference and gotcha. so all of the african-american churches within a particular union are, are form, uh, form come together to form a regional conference so hopefully that's not too confusing right, right. so <laughs> um, so if yeah. i
1: get it so basically there's state conferences and then regional conferences operate like a state conference but they cover the geography of a of, entire union of the entire union, but they yeah. both answer to the, or like the, the the union is both uh, is above them. Is that kind of like exactly the exactly?
0: Okay. So the regional conference president, even though his territory covers the same geography as the union president, he actually answers to the union president because the the regional conference is is treated as a state conference.
1: Okay. And then so what is So kind of giving us a little brief overview of how, like how did they <laughs> how did this get started? Right. Yeah.
0: So so the regional conferences. So the way that they came into being um, the really the catalyst for it uh, came in 1943 with the death of a Seventh-day Adventist black woman, uh, Lucy Byard. Um, so Lucy Byard, uh, again, she was a, a Seventh-day Adventist. She was from uh, New York, uh, lived and, and worked uh in the one of the boroughs of New York City, I believe it was uh, Long Island, mm-hmm. and she was very well known in the black Seventh-day Adventist uh, community, a uh, very respected Bible worker, uh, choir leader. Uh, I mean, she, she was just an amazing woman if you look at, at, at her history uh, and her biography, but unfortunately she uh, uh, contracted uh, liver cancer, and she had some complications from that and eventually, uh, it looked at, or it appeared that her uh, illness was going to be terminal. But she wanted to give like a last ditch effort in trying to uh, find a treatment that would be effective to reverse her her cancer diagnosis. And she wanted to be treated at an Adventist hospital. Now mm-hmm. she uh, somehow uh, found out about a Washington Adventist Sanitarium and wanted to be treated there. And so her husband arranged for her to be admitted to the Washington Adventist uh, Sanitarium in Washington, D.C., and when they arrived, uh, she unfortunately was not treated there. They found out that she was an African-American. Uh, mm-hmm. Washington uh, Adventist Sanitarium uh, had uh, actually had just changed its policy previously to 1943. They did treat African-Americans, but uh, only in the basement of the hospital and only mm-hmm. with off-duty uh, staff <laughs> of the That's hospital. Crazy. But apparently in, in, in 1943, earlier that year, they had reversed that policy, and and, and now they did not treat African Americans whatsoever. And so uh, they told uh, Lucy Byard and her husband that uh, that they should uh, uh, go to the Freedmen's uh, Hospital, which was the hospital for African Americans in the D.C. area. And this is uh, where things get a little bit uh, muddy in terms of the details. Um, if who, Depending on who you hear the story from, some say that she died Uh, You know, just just outside of, of the hospital on her way to Friedman's Hospital. Some people say she died in an ambulance or in a taxi. Um, my, my personal belief is that uh, she was in a vehicle, they got to uh, the Freedmen's Hospital, uh, but on the way, somehow she contracted pneumonia, being exposed to the elements of being transferred from the hospital to a vehicle, and then from the vehicle to uh, the Freedmen's Hospital, and there she, she later uh, died. Now, the, the point is that when people found out That she had gone to Washington Adventist Sanitarium, this good, upstanding Seventh-day Adventist, tithe-paying Seventh-day Adventist. She went to Washington Adventist Sanitarium and could not be treated for her cancer. Uh, That enraged Black Adventism when they found out that she had died, uh, and and they attributed it to the the lack of care uh, uh, at the Washington Adventist Sanitarium. And so because of that anger, they uh, the black constituency approached the general uh, conference and demanded actually full integration uh, across uh, the denomination, especially here in North America. That meant full integration uh, in terms of schools, in terms of uh, hospitals, in terms of our, our churches, everything, just full integration. And instead, the, the white brethren uh, at the top, <laughs> our, our leaders, uh, instead of uh, acquiescing to that, that request of full integration, they actually uh, told the Black constituency, what we are willing to do is give you uh, a continue segregation, but we would give you a small modicum of power in that you would be able to form your own, regional conferences you'd be able to have your own regional conference president right so but this that is, is where like regional yeah, but but, but, conferences but, but they from.
1: were paying tithe to the entire body of Adventism right it, which was, exactly okay. exactly
0: and that's where that rage comes came from is that African Americans they were paying tithe they were faithful tithe payers just like their white counterparts. And at the same time, they were not allowed to use the facilities that their tithe money <laughs> went to to, uh, to establish. So right. black tithe dollars went to establish schools and restaurants and hospitals and all of these different, uh, facilities, and yet those same African Americans could not, uh, be patrons of, of those, of those facilities, and so that, the Lucy Byard incident, that just, uh, brought all of that to, to light, and it became very real and visceral for the African American community, and we, we said we had had enough.
1: So this, this gets us down to a, a term that you use, which is segregation. You know, they sought integration, and they got segregation, and today, though, you know, uh, Even though regional conferences are a byproduct of segregated Adventism, is that what we currently have at the moment?
0: Right. So, and and this is one of the problems when we have this, this type of conversation. So we talk about segregated conferences um, we actually do not have segregated conferences, not, not at least in a legal uh, way. So it's not that uh, white uh, Adventists cannot attend black churches uh, or regional conference churches, or vice versa. That's not what we have. So what we have is that because of of racism, just to be frank about it, we have this uh, this split in the structure. So I honestly I'm not even sure what we would actually call it, but it's not legal segregation like we had, you know, in, under Jim Crow or something like that. Uh, the the uh, the The situation is a little bit different, so it it's not. Um, it's not a, a, a Jim Crow uh, imposed uh, segregation in that sense. It's, it's more of a African-Americans uh, doing their, their own thing, using their own tithe dollars to, to accomplish the needs that, that they have. So reaching the black community and making sure that our, our people are not disenfranchised.
1: Today, even though we have people who can be members of either conference and no one's going to bar anybody. Uh, from being, you know, a member of a G- regional conference church or a state conference church, you know, why is there this push now for for merging conferences and and this racial reconciliation? What are some of your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so I, I think there, I I don't want to uh, mischaracterize anyone. Uh, or, or their their motives obviously I can't read people's hearts but I have had conversations with people who have been quite candid with me about their motivations yeah. and so you you have certain uh, initiatives like uh, against the wall uh, with uh, like uh, uh, Michael Nixon and Ty Gibson those I think are are benign uh, initiatives to try and and break down uh, these uh, the separated uh, conferences but they, actually understand the the root of the problem. And so I I probably should have said this earlier, but that some people see segregated conferences or or the conferences uh, separated by, by a color line, they see that in itself as the problem, and that's not the problem. The segregated conferences came about because of a different issue, which is racism, right? And so dissolving uh, or, or merging the conferences back into one, you know, clear and, and simple, elegant administrative <laughs> hierarchy, uh, sure, that's fine, I guess, but at the end of the day, that doesn't actually solve the root problem, which was racism. If we, if we think about it, uh, it, it, it never was intended to solve the problem of racism. Uh, the, the brethren at the top, they said, hey, we we know you want full integration, but here we're going to give you more segregation. We're just going to give you a, a small modicum of power so that you can have some type of agency Uh, over your your own churches and your own initiatives. So again, I don't want to mischaracterize every person that's trying to uh, (laughs) push for reunification. Some, I think, actually do understand that racism is the actual root of the problem, and that's what they want to address first is the racism. Let's have a, a season of repentance and lamentation and change the culture of the church in terms of racism, and then we can talk about uh, reunifying. Unfortunately, there are some individuals who want to skip that that step. Um, <laughs> they don't want to deal with the racism; they just want to deal with the structural uh, remnants of racism, which is our, our separated conferences, because they're embarrassed about how it looks uh, uh, to the world and people that they're trying to reach. Some of those individuals have a more benign. Um, embarrassment and that they're embarrassed that uh, we have this legacy or these remnants of racism in the church, but then there are others who are actually trying to uh, really, in in a way, uh, um, they're being racist and they're trying to re, uh, re, uh, uh, re-assimilate the regional conferences into the state conferences, because again, they're trying to muzzle the African American work, keep black ministers from being involved in social justice. Uh, it, it makes them irate to see black ministers marching in the streets after the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and others. It just it irks them to no end because they believe that seeing black ministers in the streets protesting will actually dissuade uh, white individuals that they are trying to reach from joining uh, the church but then there is another uh, um initiative amongst uh some white adventists in, to to remerge the conferences and again it is to uh somewhat take control of the black work and and the the rationale behind that is that some white Adventists unfortunately believe that the African American version of Adventism has been Pentecostalized, and they believe that it 's been Pentecostalized beyond recognition, so they don't even they don 't see Black Adventism as Adventist anymore and so what they would like to see is for Black Adventism to come back under the control of white leadership uh, in in the state conferences. And by doing so, they're hoping that to encourage Black Adventists to take on what they would call uh, more, um, I guess you would uh, say... um, uh, more holy uh, worship practices and uh, more, more reverent uh, worship services. And, and so that's their, that's their agenda as well. So there's kind of a a paternalism there that somehow the, the the white savior will come in on on a white shining horse and save black Adventism from itself uh, Mm. before it's too late. And so you you have that element as well Mm. in in the church, unfortunately.
1: Wow. And, and just kind of from picking your brain about like, in your own journey and in your own studies through this and in, you know, and in the conference that you guys uh, did a few years back, what did, you know, corporate repentance look like? Is there like a list of like, to be like, okay, now we know you have corporately repented when you hit these check marks.
0: Absolutely. So in, in my opinion, what what is needed in terms of if we're going to go down that path of, uh-huh. of, of reunifying uh, the conferences.
1: Even if we don't, yeah. right? Like there'd be, yeah. there's merit to the corporate repentance. A- or... a-
0: absolutely. I-, I think we should definitely get rid of our racism one way or another, <laughs> <laughs> whether we come back together or not uh, structurally. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely what we what we need to see is a, a, a critical mass of, of white acknowledgement that racism is real, uh, not just in the world, but even that is a struggle uh, unfortunately, in the conversations that i 've had with some of my brethren they They deny that racism is even an issue uh systemic racism uh, in the world, but also uh, for a critical mass of, of white adventists to a- acknowledge that there is even racism within the church um, that is is key, and so the way that that can be demonstrated is, for example, to invite uh, African-American ministers to, uh, to come to predominantly white Adventist churches and share the, the Black experience, and to share Adventism from a, a Black African-American lens, uh, what, it, what different doctrines mean to the African-American experience, to expose uh, white Adventism to that, that type of thinking and, and theological uh, perspective. Um, definitely— I, I would uh, recommend that our church take on some type of truth and reconciliation uh, 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 initiative, where individuals are, are brought together, especially those who have lived through the civil rights movement, uh, and bring uh, it, those it, those two parties together to actually sit down and talk to each other, and 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 put this up before the the, me- the membership as a whole, so that we can see that 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 we have. Um, we have our own uh, flaws as, as a church in terms of dealing with with race and and, and issues of systemic uh, racism. So we need that that element of people acknowledging that racism actually I- exists, that it exists in the church, and then we can move forward to, towards healing and, and reconciliation. Um, we definitely need some work of introspection a- along with that, and I would definitely encourage, Uh, leadership in in those state conferences where you have uh, Korean churches and and, and other uh, ethnicities, uh, Hispanic churches, who are actually seeking to leave state conferences and join regional conferences, right? And I, and I think some of these, these leaders in the state conferences, they need to really take a moment and ask themselves a the question, why is it that other ethnicities do not feel comfortable, uh, you know, this, this far <laughs> removed from the civil rights movement? You know, why is it that some ethnicities still don't feel comfortable uh, in, in state conferences? Why, why, is it, why does it seem that there is not space for, for diversity? Uh, within that, that 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 particular structure. Um, so I, de- I definitely think that that is a, another issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, I, I know this is a touchy subject, but I, I think we also need to look at the issue of reparations as well. Uh, one of the reasons that the regional conferences were were developed is that, African American ministers were not given opportunities to lead in in the Seventh Day Adventist work, as in to be advanced to uh, a conference president or union presidents or, or at the NAD level or, or even the GC level. Those opportunities were not afforded to African Americans. They were they were kept at, uh, at, at the, you know, the, the the grunt work, you, you would say. Uh, I used to be a pastor, so I can get away with that. So, but, but people were, were, were kept at, at that level, and they were not allowed to advance and, and use their talents to further the kingdom of God at administrative levels because of, of racism. Um, so, uh, again, uh, that is something that also needs to be looked at in terms of, of reparations. Who were these individuals that were kept from advancing, even though they clearly had the talent, they clearly had uh, the know-how and the acumen to to be leaders in, in the work, but because of the color of their skin, they were kept uh, from having those opportunities. Um, definitely, I believe that that Adventism should always... Keep the the black work healthy by continuing to contribute to to Oakwood University as well as uh, a Pine Forge Academy, which is the African American. Uh, academy, for the regional conferences, to never allow those institutions uh, to ever face financial difficulties of any kind. And so those institutions need to stay, and they need to stay healthy and, and vibrant and available for African Americans so that there is a safe place for African American Adventists to receive an education and, and not have their Blackness assaulted uh, by uh, by teachers and, and mentors. Um, I mean, I can keep going. There's a lot that could be done in, in terms of, of, of uh, eradicating uh, racism. I, I, I do want to uh, give a little bit of counsel in terms of, of personal advice, if, if especially if you are a, a white Seventh-day Adventist and you're trying to wrap your mind around, you know, what are what are black what are my black Adventist brothers and sisters talking about when they're talking about systemic racism outside and inside the church? I definitely want to recommend a, a few resources: uh, "Protests and Progress" uh, by uh, Calvin Rock. Uh, Seventh Day Adventists and the Civil Rights Movement by uh, Samuel London, uh, and of course uh, the Southern Work by by Ellen White, which is a classic. I would definitely encourage people to to read uh, those resources. And another resource that I would also recommend is the uh, Desire of Ages, and it's I believe it's chapter seventy, and it's Ellen White's commentary on Matthew chapter twenty five verses thirty one through forty six. Um, you cannot read that, that, uh, <laughs> that chapter from Desire of Ages and, and it not change you and, and actually motivate you to get involved in social justice work uh, like, like Black Lives Matter and, and, and things of that nature. So uh, that, those are just a few things uh, in, in terms of the practical things that you can do, but there's also theological things that we need to do as a church to bring about uh, uh, unity and harmony and, and to eradicate racism Uh, from the Church. And uh, uh, one thing that I think would be absolutely key for us as a denomination is to actually look at the discipline of Black theology and liberation theology and look at that that theological enterprise and, and adopt where we can, uh, those some of those elements and, and bring it into our own theology and create an Adventist Black theology and create an Adventist liberation uh, theology and really invest resources uh, into that, that uh, particular enterprise. Because until we have that uh, I, I think most Adventists are trying to reinvent the wheel on their own. Black Adventists and white Adventists, once they are become uh, woke and become and become uh, aware of of systemic racism and and the issues that are outside the church as well as inside the church, they don't know how to move forward. They don't know what to do about it, and they and a lot of times they're even challenged and and accused of not no longer being Adventists because they care about these issues. And so for me, which is my passion and what I'm actually studying at the seminary, is how can we merge Adventist theology and, and black theology, because I don't want to see the, the next generation of African American Adventists have to choose between their Adventism and caring about their, their own communities as as African Americans. For those um, who might
1: not be familiar, what is yeah. black theology and black sure. li- and liberation? Yeah, sorry theology? about that. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: so so black theology, um, you could say black theology started in 1619 when the first slaves were, were brought uh, to these shores, but um, so, on, on, on a, uh, a very real way, black theology was the the practice of, of African Americans, uh, the African slaves that were brought here to this country. When they were introduced to Christianity, that was the beginning of, of black theology. The essence of black theology was that for African Americans, we viewed christianity as a religion of liberation that jesus was our liberator and that he would liberate us from slavery at some point in in the future so that's the beginnings of of uh of black theology but as an academic discipline you you could probably say that it started with the uh theologian from the uh, african methodist uh, episcopal uh, denomination and his name was uh, dr james cone he passed away i believe in 2018 and uh, his book, uh, black, uh, black Theology and, uh, and Black Power, was really the beginning uh, of, of, of black theology as an academic discipline. Uh, essentially, what black theology tries to do, it tries to address, at least in, in my uh, estimate of it, it tries to address three uh, particular issues. One, uh, of course, is black liberation. So uh, it tries to give the theological foundation for uh, civil rights activism uh, and really the, the struggle or the fight for any type of, of, of liberation that the African uh, American community uh, is, t- is trying to enact against oppression. So today you could say that um, black theology uh, would be trying to address the issue of, of mass incarceration, because that is probably the most uh, <laughs> existential threat to the black community uh, today. So that's one level is 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 to give the theological foundations uh, for uh, for civil rights activism uh, and civil rights work. At another level, black theology is is trying to address the the uh, I guess you could say the the problem of evil, but specifically from the black experience. So it's really trying to answer the question. How is God all powerful? How is God all loving? And yet He allowed the transatlantic slave trade. How, how did? Why did He allow Jim Crow? Why did He allow convict leasing? And on and on and on. All of the the uh, suffering that that African Americans have endured uh, since we came to to these shores. And so that that in fact that is my particular area that I am uh, focusing on. And I see some interesting connections between uh, uh, that particular issue and, and the sanctuary. Um, the last uh, element that black theology tries to address is the issue of black dignity and, and self-worth. Uh, so James Cone said that the, the worst uh, legacy of, of slavery is the destruction of, of black self-worth. And so that is one of the issues that, that black theology tries to, to address, is rebuilding uh, the, the, um, the black uh, self-esteem, the black uh, self-worth, uh, within our, our communities, but based on uh, from a, a, a Christian or biblical perspective.
1: I hope this episode provoked your curiosity to do further research on the racial history of the church and what you can do to help move forward the conversations in a meaningful direction. Be sure to stay tuned and catch the second part of this episode, as well as our future episode with Dr. Calvin Rock, author of Protest and Progress. Recommended readings for this week include Seventh Day Adventist and the Civil Rights Movement by Samuel G. London, Protest and Progress by Calvin B. Rock, Southern Work by Ellen White, and Black Theology and Power by James Cohn. We want to thank the Adventist learning community for making this program possible, as well as our guest, Ingram London. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at the handle at AdventNext.